time of worship. And God, I know that we, all of us in this room, desire to no longer be a slave to fear. So God, we, we know that really the only way to get past that is having not only an intimate relationship with Jesus, but really understanding who you are, Jesus. So I pray, God, as we talk about that this morning, about really understanding who Jesus is, God, that you would enlighten our hearts, your spirit of God would teach us, guide us, lead us into understanding so that we can in turn allow you, Jesus, to play a role in our lives. It's just amazing. So we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as, as a lot of you know, not all of you, a lot of you know, I, about five or so years ago, I uh, decided in my early 50s to go back to grad school. I don't recommend doing that in your 50s, but it was a great, probably one of the most difficult, but one of the most rewarding experiences uh, in my life. And one of the important things, and I, actually, I went back to get my degree in marriage and family therapy. I went to seminary to do that. Um, Really, one of the most important things that I learned uh, in training to be a therapist was that only really, only really once a person comes to really completely trust me, to, to understand, really to understand that I am a person that they can trust, that I am a person that is completely safe, only when they understand that are they going to be completely vulnerable with me. Only then will they feel like they can be free to open up and share with me. I learned that firsthand in my classes, but then I learned it as I started spending time um, with clients. That once we, there was this connection that we had, and they understood, they truly understood, okay, this guy, he's for me, he's safe, I can talk to him, I can tell him anything. Once they understood that, man, things could really get rolling. But until that happened... I got to tell you, there was always a barrier. There was always something that just was not clicking and not going to help. So how does, so how does uh, my lesson in therapy there um, apply to our passage this morning? Well, it, it applies because, by the way, get your little sheets out here if you want. Remember, we're doing these little things now with the notes. If you want to follow along, and we're already on number one, number one there is, is, is going to be when it comes to choosing to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, as I know many people, many of us in this room desire to do, our understanding of who Jesus truly is determines the role we allow him to play in our life. I know that sounds elementary, but it is so key. Just like a a client needed to understand who I was, we need to to understand who Jesus is And really, that's going to determine the role we play. And we're going to see how the different roles as we look at our passage this morning. Because reality is, a lot of people, including a lot of Christians, don't completely understand who Jesus truly is and therefore completely miss out on the role that he so desires to play and the role that he plays that we never dreamed possible. Think we ever look, ever wonder why this whole Christian thing, I don't know if it's working. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't, doesn't feel like it's working. You know what? Usually it's because we do not understand Jesus, like we talked about last week. We don't get it. And that's what I love about as we're going into this whole Passion Week scene in, the, in Matthew here, is really, it's so much about Jesus' death and his resurrection, but it's really so much about us understanding who Jesus is. 
Because we think we understand who Jesus is, especially those of us that grew up in church. Oh yeah, I've heard it all, heard the songs, sang the songs, read the stuff. But the reality is we're bombarded with so many other things. We put Jesus in these little boxes. We make him look like we want him to look. And we think that that's okay. And we're going to see how that's not okay. We're going to see how that really just hurts us more than any, any, anything else. Now, last week in our, in our study in, the, in Matthew, we saw that after being arrested, and remember he was accused of blasphemy or slandering, insulting God, the religious, religious leaders took Jesus off to appear before the governor. Remember, he had to go before Pilate in order to get these accusations, uh, to get the guilty verdict approved of, and to get sanctioned by him, okay, so that they could get rid of Jesus. We saw that before describing this, though, we saw that what happened is Matthew takes this little detour, remember? He takes this little detour, and he returned to this pivotal character in the story. He returned to Judas. And what happened we, last week, we saw that this, this detour that Matthew took, what it did is it helped us to learn about two different kinds of grief we experience over our sin, this godly or worldly grief, and really the life and death uh, realities that each response um, produces. Now we're going to come back. Now Matthew says, okay, back to Jesus, okay? Now he's going to return to describe the scene before the governor, okay? Let's pick it up. Pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 27 of Matthew. He says this, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when, he accused, but, he was, but when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So we see what happens is the religious leaders, what they had done is the charge that they had agreed to present to Pilate was to claim that Jesus was saying he was the Messiah. And they used this term, the king of the Jews, which was a very, very smart play on their part to phrase this charge in a political language. It was a great idea on their part. Their thinking is that there's no way a Roman governor is going to ignore this political claim to leadership from the Jews. There's no way he's going to do that. So that's, their, that's what their ploy is. So Pilate asks them straight up, are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? And to remember, Jesus, he gives the same answer that he gave back to the chief priest back when they were asking him uh, if he was the king of the Jews. Yet this time, remember, Jesus says, yes, I am. And then he went on to explain how he is going to reign and rule and that he's going to be seen as the highest authority next to God himself. This time he doesn't do that. He just leaves it at that. He just simply says, you have said so. And really, if you look at your Bible, that's the last word that Pilate's ever going to hear Jesus say says, that's it. You have said so. We see here the religious leaders then must have continued to, uh, with their accusations, they must have come up with all this stuff they were saying, uh, which we see Jesus still gives no answer. He says nothing. Now you would think that Pilate or any official here would take Jesus's silence as an acceptance of his guilt, right? He's not saying anything. He's just sitting there taking it. So of course Pilate's going to think, man, this guy must be guilty, Yet he's willing, to, and he's willing to falsely be accused. If he's innocent, why isn't he saying something? Could you imagine? I don't know about you, but when I'm 
feel like someone's charging me with something that I don't think I've done. I, my, my hair goes up in the back, and, and I'm like, oh, I'm ready to defend myself. Jesus, so the pilot's thinking, what's wrong with this Jesus? Why doesn't he want to even defend himself? I mean, the, the awe that he invoked by his teaching and his miracles, all these things that he, that he did, yet he's willing to be falsely accused of a crime that really could ultimately lead to his death. What, what, amazing, he says. This is amazing. And it's a really a great question. It's a wonderful question. Why did Jesus remain silent when falsely accused? I mean, he could have said anything. He could have even just as simply said, hey, don't worry about it, Pilate. I'm no threat to you. I got other, I got other business to do. He didn't say that. He had nothing. He said nothing. Why did he do that? The answer is that he did it for you, and he did it for me. And, by the way, he did it for those that were falsely accusing him. That's why he did it. Number two on your notes there. The one who was present for the creation of the universe accepted the injustice and the false, ac- and f- a false accusation, which he knew would lead to his crucifixion, in order to become our advocate before God. You see, being an advocate, being our advocate means that Jesus is literally pleading our case before God the Father. I want you to picture that in your head just for a second, because I had to wrap my, there's a lot of things in today's sermon I just had to wrap my head around because I didn't get, and this was one of them. The fact that Jesus is pleading my case before the Father. I don't get that really. I don't get all the nuances of that, but I knew though that's what he's doing. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit special. That helps me because I am a slave to certain fears. I am in need of, of a, a self-esteem boost oftentimes, and, and I look for it in long place, wrong places. But knowing that Jesus Christ is advocating for me before the Father saying, God, don't worry. I took care of all that. I took care, you know what, I took care of them. Don't, don't sweat it. I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't get that. Why God would even be thinking. I, I don't know, but Jesus is our advocate. That is an amazing, an amazing truth. John Calvin writes this. He says, he had become answerable for our guilt. God's son stood trial before a mortal man and suffered, suffered accusation and condemnation that we might stand without fear in the presence of God. You and I can go to the, into the presence of God now. We can come to him and not, oh, what's he going to think? What's he, we got an advocate already there. It's like we, it's like we have the, the best lawyer that could ever, ever be hired is already pleading our case. So we can just walk right on in. Not flippantly, obviously, but we can walk right in knowing that, all right, I'm covered. That's an amazing and amazing truth. Simply understanding this thing, just this thing about Jesus, will determine the role that we allow him to play in our lives. It really will, but that's not all. We now see how Pilate goes on to handle this situation. Look at verse 15. Says this. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? 
For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, there's no historical evidence that um, this, for this custom of releasing for the crowd a prisoner, yet there are examples in history about people being released uh, in order to gain popular support by the crowd, especially during festivals and things like that. So it makes sense that Pilate would do something like this to, you know, to please the crowd. Who do you want? I'll, you know, we're having a festival. You know, the, remember, we, we do know that Passover is happening right now. So, hey, who do you want? You know, keep the crowd appeased and things like that. So we can see him doing that. And we see here that this prisoner, if you read the, if, if you have the NIV version of the Bible, it says that his full name, name was what? Anybody have that? His name was Jesus Barabbas. That was his full, that was his full given name, Jesus Barabbas, okay? Who all we know really about this guy is that he was a, probably a well-known freedom fighter. He's briefly mentioned in uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 7, as a part of some Roman, you know, some rebellion against the Roman authorities. Uh, somehow, and somehow we hear his name somehow had gotten to Pilate as kind of the popular, you know, person that would be good for a prisoner pardon. Hey, put, you know, let's stuff the ballot a little. Let's get, let's get, let's get him out. We want him because we know he hates the Romans, and we don't want him to be, we don't want him to be crucified uh, for that. Now, we get a hint here, our first hint of Pilate's reluctance to convince Jesus, because we see that he knows, he's very well aware that the religious leaders wanted to punish Jesus, not because he had broken any laws, not because he had broken any Roman laws especially, but they wanted to get rid of this guy who was ultimately threatening them, threatening their authority and threatening their status. That's why they wanted to have him killed. And to add to his reluctance, we see what happens with his wife. His wife's like my wife last night had a, is really sick. She had a really bad night's sleep. I don't think it was about because Jesus or Barabbas or anything like that. Uh, she couldn't sleep last night. She couldn't sleep. That's what it says. Uh, Pilate's wife couldn't sleep because she was having some kind of dream we see here, this disturbing dream that interrupts this whole trial that he, she sends word to him. She believes, hey, wait, this guy's a righteous man. Basically, there's something innocent about this guy. Don't pursue this. So the doubts are really starting to stir with him. What we see here is God is what God is doing with Pilate's wife is actually what he's doing is testifying to who Jesus is, even through a pagan woman. Even through a pagan woman. Look at number five on your or number three on your notes there. It says, What this tells us is that the truth concerning who Jesus is is meant to be proclaimed. Now she didn't understand who Jesus was, and no one was on his side. But he even went to a pagan woman in her dreams and made it so she couldn't sleep in order to get there. I want you to know more. I want you to know more. Obviously, Pilate wasn't listening. But God, that's how God is going to work. And the reality is, when it comes to um, the, this Jesus, who Jesus is needing to be proclaimed, the reality is that we, as his followers, are the ones that are to be doing the proclaiming. That's our role. Pastor Ray Stedman, he wrote this. He said, there are truths which God wants his children to proclaim because they are the ones best fitted to do it. 
They understand the mighty works of God. They know who it, who it is, who is behind these things. They understand the meaning of these events. They are the ones set apart by God to proclaim these great truths and to help the world see God's mighty works and understand what he's doing. That is our role. It shouldn't have to come down to a pagan woman, God needing to use a pagan woman. He will. But we are to proclaim, number four on your notes there, that's why it's important that we do the work of knowing God's words, words so that we can proclaim to the world the truth that is in it. Ever found yourself going, ah, I don't have an answer. I don't know what to say. A lot of times that's going to happen to, no matter how much knowledge you have. But so often we don't know what to say because we just don't know. This isn't another, one of those other sermons, guilt, get back in the Word, read your Bible. No, no. It's wanting. Remember how, remember how last week, if you were here last week, I, was, I felt very passionate about communicating to you how much we need to hate sin. On the other side of that coin, we need to cultivate an absolute love for God's Word. To the point where we just go... It's like in the morning, oh, I gotta have breakfast, or I'm gonna. It's what you gotta have. I, I gotta have something to eat today, spiritually. I crave it. I want it. But not just want it, not like, oh, I gotta down that nasty shake. No, it's because I love it. I'm in it because I love it. I want it. We need to ask God for that passion to want that. Because the enemy's gonna do everything he can to distract us and go, now you don't need it. You don't like it. You don't even want it. Spit it out. That's, what, that's, that's so important. We're not going to know how to proclaim it if we don't know it. To the church in Corinth, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. He said, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards. This word steward literally means a manager of the mysteries of God. Our role as believers, we are to steward, we are to manage the mysteries of God. Many of them that we'll never understand, but many of them that we do understand that the world doesn't because the Holy Spirit has enlightened us. So we steward those. We manage them. We put them out where they need to be put out. We selectively tell people at the right time. That's our role. That is our role to be doing that. So what happens then? What happens when we fail to proclaim the truth concerning who Jesus is. How's it going to happen then? Well, remember back a couple chapters, we saw when Jesus was entering. Remember, he was entering to Jerusalem, and the people were lining the streets like crazy. Remember, they were calling out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were shouting. They were just excited, putting down the palm branches. All this stuff was going on. And remember, the religious, religious leaders came to rebuke Jesus and said, Hey, tell them to stop that. That's not right. Tell them to stop doing that. And in, not in Matthew that we looked at, but I believe it's in Luke's gospel. We see that he says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very what? The very rocks, the very stones, he says. The, if these people don't do it, the stones will cry out and do it. My friends, this... This is something else that hit me today, or this week. Let's not be satisfied to leaving it to the stones to cry out about Jesus. Let's not leave it to the stones. Let's not leave it to the paid professionals. Let's not leave it to the, the oratorily gifted people. 
That's not our role. Our role is to proclaim who Jesus is, even if we're like just new to this whole thing and I don't know what to say. I won't be able to say it perfectly. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just proclaim. Proclaim. That's what he's saying here. That is our role. And we do this because we understand who Jesus is. See, that makes sense? When we understand who Jesus is, we can't help but proclaim him. Are we scared? Sure. Are we nervous? Sure. But it's in our heart to want to proclaim him. We truly understand who Jesus is. All right, now we see the pressure is really getting to Pilate, okay? Now he's from the religious leaders and from the crowd. It is absolutely relentless. Look at verses 20 to 23. He says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which one of the two do you want me to release for you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall we do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? (laughs) See his his hesitance? He's like, you people are crazy. Why? This makes no sense. What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So we see what's going on here due to the persuasion of the religious leaders and the, and the crowd, what's happened is every, the crowd is now, I guess the, the religious leaders, I can only see, I can probably see the religious leaders kind of walking through the crowd, you know, feeding their ballots to the people, you know, make sure you check off Barabbas as the one to go, you know, because they're just like, you can see it by this point, they're now all pro Jesus Barabbas. And they're very, very adamantly anti-Jesus, the Messiah. That's where the crowd is at right now. So when Pilate asks, who do you want to let go? Of course, Barabbas, let's do it. You know, they're in a frenzy. Even if it's not the truth, even if it's not the right thing. Remember, Jesus hasn't broken any Roman laws, and Jesus Barabbas has. He's a felon. And Pilate knows this. He knows these, this truth. Yet the people demand Barabbas's release and Jesus to be crucified. And really, What we essentially see happening here is the crowd is choosing the wrong Jesus. They choose the wrong Jesus. Number five on your notes, and here's the stark reality about this. Just as the crowd then chose the wrong Jesus, so too we can choose the wrong Jesus. You see, it's only, it's it's one thing to want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It's another thing to choose the right Jesus. We're going to kind of unpack this in a second here. Because the truth is, reality is, there are actually many Jesuses to choose from. You're thinking, wait a second, I only read about one. I only saw one. No. The reality is there are a lot. And we've talked about these before in past sermons, so I'll just lightly hit a, a couple of these. First, there's, there's political Jesus, number six. So you know, There's political Jesus who represents and supports our political beliefs, you know, as if Jesus were definitely more Republican than Democratic. <laughs> what? But isn't that the way we think? Sometimes we think that way, that let's, yeah, politics, Jesus is behind this party, or he's behind that issue, or, come on. Another one, number seven, I, I, this one's, I think this one's a really popular one. There's insurance agent Jesus. 
okay, who turns agent Jesus, who is turned only to in times of crisis. This is a very popular Jesus, even amongst his followers, his Christians. You know, we trust that like a good neighbor, Jesus is there. You know, did you just say that already before me? Good, good job. Good job. Way to go. Way to go. Yeah. Leave it to the younger folks in the crowd to be ahead of you. But yeah, we d- isn't that so true? Jesus, ah, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. The rest of the time, now nah, I, got, I got this covered. We're okay. I'm good. That's a very popular Jesus. There's the new age, there's the new age Jesus who is seen as just one of many ways to spiritual enlightenment. I read a whole bunch about Deepak. Yeah, this, this, uh, this week. Man, that is, the, that is the, I mean, he's the most wealthiest, most popular new age teacher out there. There's a lot of truth to what he's saying, a whole lot. But it really is a lie. It's downright lie. Because it's not the real Jesus. Here's another popular one. Therapist Jesus. Obviously my favorite. Therapist Jesus, whose job is to make us feel better. That's therapist Jesus' job, okay? Therapist Jesus is for those who really aren't concerned with living a holy life, but a happy life. It's the American dream, right? It's what I deserve. What's with these problems? Men, get ready. We're starting to study James next week. <laughs> We're going to study trials and tribulations. And we wonder, what the heck is that all about? That's a therapist Jesus mentality. Wait, I, I should be able to run to him and he'll take care of my problems. Things will all be worked out and I'll feel better at the end. That's a Jesus we, I, I don't know, it's tempting to embrace that Jesus. The right Jesus, number 10, is the Jesus of the Bible, Okay who came to fix our deepest problem. Now get this, to forgive our sin that separates us from a loving and holy God, and this is key to one who desires uh, us to allow him to do what's necessary in our lives in order to make us holy. My friends, that is the Jesus of the Bible. We love the part, my sins are forgiven. He came to forgive my sins. I love that part. But what about the part where we say, I'm willing to allow you, Jesus, to do whatever. You can, you, everything is yours. My life is yours. My money is yours. My kids are yours. My future, my desires are yours. <laughs> now do what you want with them in order to make me holy. Whew. But that's the, that's the Jesus of the Bible. And it's not a sadistic Jesus of the Bible that just, I'll do what it makes you holy, and ooh, you're going to regret it. Not at all. It's glorious. It's wonderful. But we're scared of that. We're a slave to fear, often, of that very thing. Number 11, the reality is the only way to ensure we are choosing to follow the right Jesus is by spending contemplative time in the place that best reveals who he is. <coughs> Excuse me. In God's word. That's the reality. We just already talked about that. Again, that's the reality. That's how we are going to understand. So it's not, once again, it's not like, please come to the Bible study or please do your quiet, all those things. No, it's like, would you do those things for yourself? 
so that you can enjoy understanding who Jesus really is and not embracing possibly a false Jesus that our enemy is pushing in our face all the time. Being in his word, because once again, our understanding of who Jesus truly is is going to determine the role we allow him to play in our lives. And so often the role he plays in our lives is not the role that he wants to play. We're keeping him at bay. We keep Jesus on a leash because it's more comfortable that way. It gives us some control. And he's saying, no, I want you to understand who I am. All right, lastly, let's look at Pilate's response to this whole craziness of the crowd. Look at verse 24. He says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And next week we begin looking at, actually, we will be looking at the crucifixion and death of Jesus next week. So even though he's convinced, you know, convincing, he doesn't really think that Jesus uh, should be crucified against his better judgment, in the end, Pilate gives in to the desires of the crowd. And really this whole washing of his hands, what it's doing here is he's symbolically passing responsibility for the death of Jesus to the crowd, which, which in reality is a futile gesture, isn't it? It's like, oh, I wash my hands of this. It's, I'm free. No, I read one, one person I read this week, one commentary I read, he said, um, it's tantamount, as, one, as it says there, it's tantamount to the Ku Klux Klan hiding their crimes behind white sheets oh, hey, we're clean. You can't tell who I am. Everything looks good. That's, what, that's exactly what Pilate was doing. Yet here's the beauty of all this. There's good news. There's good news in all this. Because Pilate, even though he washed his hands, and even though they said that the crowd, uh, because they don't understand who Jesus is, they said, you know, we're willing to dirty our hands, and we're willing to dirty the hands of our children. And the consequences we know play out later, 70 years later, what happens? Remember the destruction? We looked at this. Destruction of the temple. Millions of people died and went into slavery. All these things happened as a consequence of them doing this, this devastating stuff. Well, like I said, there is good news out of this. Despite their awful decision, despite what these people did that we just think, how could they do that? Something that led the Messiah going off to be crucified. Actually, ever thought about this? Barabbas should have been the guy in the middle of the three crosses being crucified. That was his that was his rightful place. That should have been the rightful conclusion of this trial. But because of the crowd and everybody went crazy, it didn't end up that way at all. But what the good news is what Jesus accomplished on the cross on our behalf and on the behalf of those very people in the crowd that so adamantly wanted his death was taking the curse of sin upon himself. Do you understand that about Jesus? He took the curse of sin on himself. Number, number 12 in your notes, Jesus was crushed, afflicted, despised, rejected, tortured, and ultimately died for our offenses in order that a holy God would see us as righteous. Now, I want to unpack this little righteous. This is a church word. What does that mean? 
that God would see us righteous. Look at in 2 Corinthians, I have it up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, what this means is, what this means is that the righteousness of Jesus, the perfection, the right having a right relationship with God, having nothing impeding that relationship with God, that righteousness is given to you and me when we believe in Jesus, which in turn makes us righteous and completely acceptable before God. You see what that means? Do you understand that we, the righteousness of Jesus, we have? We're not just trying to figure out how to be good, how to be better. We have the righteousness of Jesus. What that means is when God looks at you, and we need to understand this. We need to put this in our brains. When God looks at you because you're a follower of Jesus, he sees someone absolutely, perfectly righteous. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to get my head around. He knows we blow it. He knows we sin. He knows we fall short, but as far as how he that we relate to each other as a father and his kids, absolutely righteous. Nothing is in the way of a perfect relationship. Nothing is in the way of the love. Nothing is in the way, gets in the way of doing everything possible to help us to know him better. Isn't that wild? I just want that, that, that just sink in a little bit. Even as I say it, I don't even really get it. <laughs> I'm just giving you the Rob's minimal understanding of, of righteousness. But we have it because of Jesus. That just, that just absolutely blows my mind. Number 13 in your notes there. The greatest news in the world is that we can have peace with God. We can have peace with God to be seen as righteous in his eyes no matter what we've done because of Jesus. See how amazing Jesus is? It's all about Jesus. The whole Bible's about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. So it behooves us then to make sure that we understand who Jesus is, not just the flannel graph. Ooh, I'm dating myself. The flannel graph Jesus of little stories. Okay? And how does this happen? How, does it, how do we get that righteousness? Many of us know this, but I want to, there's a verse that just probably explains it the best. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not just that, oh, my sins are forgiven. My unrighteousness is gone. Wow. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah woohoo. It's gone. Even in the midst, oh, this is the, okay, even in the midst of me falling so short in the midst of my heinous sin that I'm hating and I do, I don't want to do that, God, but I still do it. God's going, I see you as righteous. Oh, man, that's amazing. That is amazing. That's why we talked about last week the grief that comes from that sin and then in turn is going to cause us to want to repent. We're going to feel bad about our sin, but we're not going to wallow in it. We're going to go, okay, I want to turn towards God. I want, I want to be clean. And I want to feel clean. If you haven't done that, I'd be remiss in not making this opportunity available. If you have not 
done this, if you've not confessed your sin to Christ, and won't, I just want to ask you, if you would just admit that you need this forgiveness, that you need that righteousness, you know how dirty you are, you know how much you blow it, that you need that righteousness, that you need it, and accept who, that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the one who came to be your righteousness. He took the curse to be your righteousness and to truly know what he has done, to understand that. This morning, you can just do that. You can do that right where you're sitting, right this very second if you never have. Say, gosh, I, I, need, I want that. I want to have a relationship with that Jesus. Or maybe you sit as you sit here, you come to realize as this whole kind of thing has unfolded a little bit here, the Spirit maybe is telling that you've been following or at least tempted to follow or embrace a Jesus other than the Bible. Because I'm telling you, that's one of the devil, the enemy that we have. He, will, he goes, okay, you want to follow Jesus? I'm going to taint that view of Jesus for you. I'm going to get you to follow a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And that's always scratching at us. That's always coming at us. Always there, that temptation. If that's the case, I really want to encourage anybody, if you're in that place this morning, I want to encourage you to ask God. This is where we go to God. Not where we go, oh, how do I fix it? Pull myself up by my bootstraps or suspenders. I like, good job, bud. Um, no, this is where we go to God and we ask for the courage and we ask for the faith to once and for all throw that Jesus out. Get, absolutely get rid of that Jesus. Okay? And embrace the Jesus of the Bible. The one who desires, like we said, to, uh, desires you to allow him to do whatever is necessary to make you holy. Is that where you are this morning? Are you willing to say, I want that poof. I want that fake Jesus, that Jesus that I think has been real, that I've only gone to when I'm hurting, or that I only, I just want him to make me feel good. That's when I'll run to him. But do you want then the Jesus though, and be passionate about craving to have the Jesus who wants to make you not only righteous, but to make you holy and to make you the kind of follower of his where you're truly experiencing his joy, even in the midst of taking two steps forward and three steps back and having all this difficulty stuff. I'll tell you, there's no better place to live. No better place to live. The Jesus who gives us righteousness and the courage also to proclaim that righteousness to the world. Let's pray. I want to have everybody close their eyes and we're foregoing the questions this morning because I really want to give you a chance to spend some time with the Lord. Just thinking about your view of how you've understood Jesus you need to do some business with him right now. He's not looking for you to feel guilty. He just desperately wants you to embrace who he truly, truly is and to commit to saying, I want that.